Good morning, Crosspoint Church. I am delighted uh, to be here today. I'm delighted to be here as your pastor during this season and life of this church. So I want to, you're welcoming me here, and I want to welcome you here, and I also like to welcome the online listeners today. Not only delighted to be here, delighted to be uh, your pastor, but for me, it's, uh, I'm coming home. Uh, I, maybe I shouldn't mention the number of years, but it was 40 years ago. In three weeks, it'll be 40 years since my wife, Willow Ann, who's down here. I can almost see her. She's down here in the middle anyway. Wave at me, and then they'll see where you are, because there's some folks who would not know you. 40 years ago, since we left this church, our home church, and went to seminary in Kentucky, how quickly 40 years have gone. So I really am coming home. I was raised here from the age of nine when my dad came to be the pastor here a very long, long time ago. I did the children's ministry here. I think it was called CYC way back in the day. I did the youth group thing. I saw Buddy Pond come in. He was the youth group leader. That gives you an idea how long ago that was. And uh, I was the church pianist here in the, through the 70s. I was the youth leader back in the day when there weren't youth pastors as such. And I've been guest speaker off and on through the years. And I've been sort of a regular fixture in the Tuesday morning seniors group that meets over in the fellowship hall. I've been doing that for several years. Not as often as once a month, but often. And then, of course, my brother, my dear brother Connard, uh, was pastor here right up until he died. I can't believe that's been six years ago when he moved to the church up higher. So thank you for asking me to come here for this time. All right, you didn't ask me. But <laughs> the district superintendent appointed me to come here during this time. But uh, I hope that's the mode that you're in. You are asking me to be here for these days. I am excited to be here. I don't get nervous before I speak, but I do get intense, and I've been excited for days thinking about this day, and I'm always thrilled to stand and preach God's Word. I have been, in the last few days, I have been privy to a communication between the staff and the, uh, the, staff and the uh, board of your church, and, and I saw this, and it jumped out at me. One of the things that's needed in these days, and I know a little bit about some of the trauma that this church has suffered in the past six months. Uh, no question about it. But one of the concerns expressed was this. We need to focus on vision. What's our one thing? And that so jumped out at me. I thought in these first seven, eight weeks that I'm going to preach to you on Sunday morning, I want to, and you saw the the uh, preamble, the, the video, uh, pre-sermon thing, I want to kind of take us back to groundwork, finding our biblical foundations and the subject, you see it on the screen before you, why are we here? Let's speak to the Father before we go to the Word. Father, Spirit of God, may the words that I speak be your words. These these dear folk don't need to hear one more sermon from one more preacher, but all of us desperately need to hear a word from your lips to our hearts. Speak to us and challenge us today 
And I would ask that in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. It was 20 years ago this summer, I was sitting in my office when the phone rang, and it was the district superintendent, Dr. H.C. Wilson. Uh, and he asked me if I would come to the ministerial and speak 45 minutes on the subject. This is a couple of months ahead. It was in the summer of 99. And his letter said, I want you to speak on how did Yarmouth Wesleyan, where I was serving at the time, grow from an average Sunday morning attendance of 60 to over 500 in 16 years. That was what he asked me to speak on. So I, re I, I said, yes, of course. Whenever the district superintendent asks you to do anything, the answer ought to be automatic. And so I said, yes. And, uh, and so then I began to think after I said yes, what am I going to go and tell those pastors? Because frankly, frankly, uh, Cross Point family this morning, I didn't know what I was doing down there. I was really, honestly, I was making it up. We were making it up as we went. And then I had what I thought was a brilliant idea. I do have an, a brilliant idea on occasion. And my idea was this. I thought, I'm going to write a letter to members of the church family and so I did. I wrote 15 of them. I wrote to some people who were young and some people who were not so young. I wrote to some who were new in the faith. I wrote to some who were veterans in the faith. Some were, who were in the church when I went there and some who came to faith while I was there. And here's what I wrote. I kept the letter. It went like this. Dear, put their name in. I've been asked to speak 45 minutes at the district ministerial how we went from 60 to 516 years. Would you help me by taking a few minutes and putting down on paper your thoughts? Just tell me what comes to your mind in answer to the how question. Could you give me your response by the 12th? So that would give me a couple of weeks to prepare what I was going to say. Well, the first miracle was this. I wrote 15 letters and 14 responded. Isn't that something? I was thrilled to death. And all 14 were helpful, including the person that said, 45 minutes is too long to speak. <laughs> Do I have a little support in the room for that? Yeah. Okay, I'll take that into uh, consideration here. And, uh, but one response of the 14 was most helpful. Matter of fact, so helpful was that I kept it. One of the persons I wrote took the letter that I wrote them, flipped it over. He must have been inspired right on the moment and started writing right off the top of his head. And, uh, and it, was, it was most helpful. And it went, what he said went like this. Dear Mr. PJ, that's what they call me down there. Now, there's been a little talk in the staff meeting. We already have one, Pastor John. What are we going to do with you? Well, uh, down there in that church I served so long, uh, I don't, a lot of people didn't, many people didn't know my last name. Some didn't know my first because I was PJ to everybody. So I can live with that and he can be Pastor John and I can be PJ anyway. This guy said, dear Mr. PJ, if they asked you to come to the ministerial and speak on how we built this church from 60 to 500, they're asking the wrong question. If I decided to build a home, this guy's an entrepreneur, a businessman, okay? If I decided to build a home or a business and had no reason, had no why, then the how is just academic and meaningless. Isn't this good? This is good. Well, I think it's good. 
The how to build a church, he went on to say, has been available to anyone who can read stuff coming out of Fuller Growth Institute, still pouring out of there after all these years. And then he said, it's not the how that's important, it's the why. If the why is big enough, he said, any old how will do. And then he wrote, here's the why. And he gave me a couple of his whys. People are lost and hell is a real place. And then he signed off with these words, sock it to him, Pastor John. Well, I went to the ministerial that September, 20 years ago, and I spoke to them, and I did not speak to them about the how. I spoke to them about the why. And that's what I want to talk to you about these moments this morning, the why. Why are we here? Why does the church exist? Why is Cross Point here, ministering here in this spot? What is the main business of the church? So would you come with me now to Luke 19, perhaps a familiar story to many of you in this room, and it's going to be on the screen, and let's do it this way. This is often my habit. I'll be odd this morning, and you be even, okay? That means I read the, oh, you get it, okay. Here we go. I'm reading the odd-numbered verses. You come back and read at me. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name and said, Zacchaeus, go to Tim Hortons and get a double-double. Oh, no. Well, sometimes I translate the scriptures for my own version. I'll stick with this one. Come down quick. I must be a guest at your home today. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Let's read 10, verse 10 again, together, full voice, everyone. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus had just met Zacchaeus and totally transformed the man's life. And on the heels of that encounter, Jesus states his reason for leaving heaven and coming to planet earth. You see it there, don't you? Why did he come? Last eight words of verse 10 says it, to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, if that was Jesus' purpose in coming to planet earth, to seek and to save those who are lost. And if Jesus left the planet and his work on earth in the hands of the church, I ask you this morning, does it not follow that the main business of the church is to seek and to save those who are lost? Amen? 
Yes, that's why we're here. So now for a few minutes, let's look closer. Let's look closer at Jesus' words. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. Because in those words, we see the same truths plus other truths that that letter from the man I just cited mentioned in his letter. Three truths. Why are we here? Here's the first. People are lost. Jesus' words, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. I remind you again, that word lost is Jesus' words, not mine. I looked up the word lost in the online dictionary, and it simply said this, unable to find one's way. I say to you this morning that the world is full of people. The city of Fredericton, this region, is full of people who are unable to find their way. Jesus called them lost. You see, friends, there is a God-shaped hole down inside of every one of us. There is an emptiness in every one of us, a, a deep and constant sense in every person that something is missing in my life. There is an ache, some writers call it. There is a longing unfulfilled. Scholar C.S. Lewis, maybe most famous today for his Chronicles of Narnia books, movies, and so on, it was he who penned these words. I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. You see what he's saying? Something's missing. He's saying that this desire, this ache, this longing inside of every one of us cannot be satisfied with a strong and happy marriage, although those are good things. This inside, this God-shaped hole in us cannot be satisfied with healthy and delightful children or by a fulfilling career or a new home or a two-month cruise on the Mediterranean or a lottery win. Can't do it. The Gaither Vocal Band sing a song that echoes the emptiness of so many of life's pursuits these days. The words go like this. I went to visit the shrine of plenty, but found its stores all filled with dust. I bowed at altars of gold and silver, but as I knelt there, they turned to rust. Jesus' words, people are lost. We are unable to find our way. Comedian, funny man, Canadian, Jim Carrey said it this way, I wish everyone could be rich and famous and get everything they ever dreamed of so that they could see that it's not the answer. What's he saying? I'm lost. People are lost. That's truth number one. People are lost. Say it. People are lost. Here's the second truth. There are three. Here it is. Also in the words from my friend way down there in Yarmouth, hell is real. Let's probe a little deeper into Jesus' words to help us see what he meant when he said in Luke 19, 10, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now we join Jesus over in the book of Matthew 25, verse 41. Jesus speaking, then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you. You cursed ones into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. Move ahead to verse 46 and we read, and they will go away into eternal 
punishment. Now, humorous Mark Twain, reflecting on this, once said, I'll take heaven for the climate, but hell for the company. We know what he meant. But listen to me this morning. Matthew chapter 25 doesn't sound, does it, like hell is going to be a party time for fun-loving boys. Doesn't sound like that. And Jesus' words in Matthew 25 doesn't sound either like what is so popular even in the church world today, this, this universalism doctrine that says somehow, some way, everyone will eventually make it into God's kingdom. That would be God's preference. But it doesn't, Jesus' words don't sound like that, do they? Hell is real. A few months ago, I was uh, traveling and listening to Maritime Noon on CBC, and the subject was, hell, is it a real place? Guest Mark DeViller led off the hour by saying, and I'm quoting him exactly, astonishingly, up to 50% of Americans and 30% of Canadians believe hell is a real place where real sinners really go to be really tortured. He seems to really like the word really. Did you notice? And then he uses the word astonishingly again. He says it's an astonishingly high proportion. And then he added these words. Many of the churches, speaking of, he's a Canadian, many of the churches have gotten away from the notion that hell is an actual place. I guess my question for you, Crosspoint, this morning, have we? Sh should we? Should we believe in hell or not, depending on what public opinion has to say about it? What do you think about that? De Villers, obviously, he was, he was really poo-pooing the idea that there's people out there that actually believe that there is such a place as hell. He didn't believe in hell. And the phone-in guests, as you could imagine, were all over the map. So who do we let determine what we believe? You know what? I think, I think I'll stick with Jesus' words. What about you? Amen. Let's stick with what Jesus said. Hell is real. Young mother. Young mother called, called me about four years ago. I was in southwest Nova Scotia then. And uh, could you meet me at the church in a few minutes? Seemed urgent. And so I said, yes, I can. And I went. And she came in and sat down. There was no preamble. There was no small talk. And she said to me, she said that the youth pastor in the church where she attended had just quit and left the church and the ministry. And when he resigned in front of the congregation, he gave one reason. And his one reason was this. I no longer believe in hell. And it shook her up so badly. She calls a neighboring pastor and wants to talk to me about it. I found myself saying this to her. I would like not to believe in hell. I have family members, people I dearly love, who are not following Jesus Christ. I believe hell is a real place. I said, I would like not to believe in hell. And then I said this, but, but Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. Hell is real and people are headed there. Hear me this morning. That's why we're here. People are lost. Say it. Hell is real 
And that brings us to truth three this morning. That reminds us all, that reminds us all why we're here. Here it is. Jesus Christ is our only hope. He is our only hope. One Bible translation, this scripture that's before you, puts an I in front of verse 10. So it reads like this, Jesus saying, For I, the Son of Man. I think it's clear to all of us when we read the scripture that I had up there that, that uh, he meant himself when he said the Son of Man. Jesus often spoke of himself in the third person. He says, I, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save those who are lost. And then on the night before he went to the cross, he told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when everything is ready, I will come and get you, and you know the way to the place where I am going. No, we don't. We don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We haven't got any idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, and these words are before you, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one can come to the Father except through me. Then you move ahead a few months. Apostle Peter, preaching to that great crowd in downtown Jerusalem, the first sermon preached in the early church. Peter, coming down near the end of the sermon, says these words, there is salvation in no one else. Speaking about Jesus, of course. There is no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to save them. Jesus Christ is our only hope. Say it. There is no other name. There is no other way. There is no other truth. This is not a popular message today in our multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-religion Canada. It's narrow. They label us as bigoted, narrow-minded. This is not what I'm preaching this morning is not a tolerant doctrine because it's not inclusive. But hear me this morning, it's true. People are lost. Hell is real. Jesus Christ is our only hope, and that's the truth, and that's why we are here. That's why on April 26, 1894, the Marysville Reformed Baptist Church was born just down here on the corner of Fisher and McGloin. Why? Because people are lost and hell is real and Jesus Christ is our only hope. And that's why in 1950, we paid $6,000. Do you hear that? $6,000 for this property here on this spot, on this hill, and the original building over there, which is now the fellowship hall. We did that because people are lost and hell is real and Jesus Christ is our only hope. That's why in 1956, Joe White went out across this town in a totally worn out old milk truck filled with wooden benches to pick up children. Why? People are lost. Hell is real. Jesus Christ is our only hope. That's why you... After I left here to go to seminary in 79, you did a major renov reno renovation in 80, I guess that was 1980 and 81. 
And the present building was constructed that made room to sit up to, sit up to 300 people. Why did we do that? Say it. People are lost. That's why in 2007, 2008, under Tim Guptill's leadership, Olivet, Olivet Wesleyan Church ceased to be, as I recall it, the Marysville Church, adopted a new name and a new mission and became a church to reach Fredericton and beyond. Why? That's why a committee of nine people met this last Wednesday night to talk about children's ministry coming in to fall and agreed that our purpose will be to introduce children to Jesus and disciple them. Why? People are lost. Hell is real. And Jesus Christ. Reaching lost people is the main business of the church. That's why we are here. My friend Laurel Buckingham wrote a manifesto 31 years ago just to describe what Moncton Wesleyan is all about. And here's what he wrote. We must use every available method in every available place at every available time to reach every available person for Christ. Everything we do and everything we are is for that purpose. I read that all those years ago and it gripped me to the point I thought then I want that to be true for this church. I was down in Nova Scotia and I read that this morning to you. I want that to be true for Cross Point Church. Let it be. Let's imagine that you could take a quantum leap in time and that you landed in Southampton, England in mid-April 1912. And you see a newspaper headline that reads, Titanic to set sail on maiden voyage today. What would you do? Well, you'd race to the harbor and try to persuade as many people as possible not to get on board that ill-fated ship. But you'd probably have very little success. People would say things to you like, what do you mean you know the future? An iceberg? <laughs> Come on. 1,500 people die? No. Quit trying to spoil my vacation. Why didn't you hear? Even God couldn't sink this ship. And you'd watch as hundreds of people sail away on the ill-fated vessel headed towards certain death. Well, then what would you do? Well, if you cared about the people on that ship, then you'd rent a boat and chase after them. What size of boat would you get? Would you go after them with a motorboat that would hold six people or a houseboat that would hold 30? You'd rent the biggest yacht you could possibly afford and you'd risk everything knowing that hundreds of lives were in the balance. Hear me this morning. If it is true that man's sin has separated him from God for eternity, and if it is true that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to this earth to die for sin, and if it is true that only through Christ can we have forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life, then the task of bringing people to Jesus Christ 
is the highest mission of the church. That is what we are here for. Let's stand and worship together.